Well, good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. <laughs> Whether it's your first time or you've been here every Sunday, we're so glad to see you. Uh, Pastor Steve is on vacation. Uh, he and his family are on a family reunion with his, with uh, I guess his um, his parents. So uh, he asked me to fill in this morning. So we'd like we're going to be teaching verse by verse through John 17. If you do not have a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. So raise your hand if you need a Bible. So let's uh, let's pray, and we will jump into the scriptures here. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. I thank you, Lord, for all these folks who took time this morning to come for fellowship, to worship, and to hear your word. We pray, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, you'd open up the scriptures to us, that we'd be instructed, we'd be convicted, we'd be encouraged, Lord. We ask that you prepare each and every heart and that you speak to us this morning through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is our third Sunday on John 17. I'm just going to go back to the beginning and kind of do a little review. Now, we have covered for months and months and months in our Sunday study a time period that only took just a few hours. If you go back to chapter 13, it was the last, the last supper. Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. And then the end of 13, 14, 15, and 16 is all Jesus giving instruction to his disciples. So this all happened that same evening, the evening in which he was crucified. Now in 17, the whole chapter is his prayer, his prayer to the Father. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples, and he even prays for us, and that's what we're going to study this morning. Now this is actually the um, longest prayer in the New Testament. It's the longest prayer of Jesus. Now we know he prayed longer because... In another section, an, uh, another gospel that said that he went and he prayed all night. So this isn't, we don't have that recorded, but this is the longest prayer that was recorded. I wonder if you know what the shortest prayer was in the New Testament. Um, this is a really good prayer and you should all memorize it. When Jesus is walking on the water and Peter says, let me get out there too. So Peter starts walking on the water and you know the story starts to sink. He said, Lord, save me. Three words. That's a good, I've prayed that a lot of times, you know. <laughs> that's a good prayer. So that's the shortest prayer, but today we're looking at the longest prayer. Uh, just take a look at, we're just going to hit a few key verses and then uh, move on into the new section. Uh, verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. So in just a short time, he's going to be arrested, have his trial, and the next day he is going to be crucified. He's talking about his crucifixion. Verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. An awesome description of what eternal life is. Eternal life is to know God and to know Jesus Christ. Not to know about God, but to know God. Not to go to church and keep a set of do's and don'ts, but to know God and to know Jesus Christ. Um, verse 8. So now he's praying for his disciples. He says, For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and, that they, have, and they have received them, 
and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Now we'll see this phrase, that you sent me, used a few more times uh, today. So that's a key phrase there, that the disciples believed that God had sent Jesus. Verse 11. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. So he's praying for unity, and we'll see that that theme of unity is is, uh, revisited here in this last part of this chapter. 13. But now I come to you, And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He's praying for his disciples, his followers, that they would have his joy fulfilled in them. And we see in the scriptures, we see times when it talks about the fullness of joy. You know, the joy that Jesus gives us is not a little bit of come come now, go away. Sometimes we got it, sometimes we don't joy. It's a joy of rejoicing when times are good. It's a, it's a joy of strength when times are bad. The fullness of joy. Um, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify means to clean us up and equip us for service. And where do we get that sanctification? Through the word. It's studying it, memorizing it, but most of all, obeying it. doesn't do any good just to read it, right? We have to obey it. And through that, we get sanctified, we get cleaned, we get equipped. 17. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Now, who is the world? We hear that a lot. You are not of the world. In the world, you shall have tribulation. For God so loved the world. He's not talking about this earth, this planet we're setting on. He's talking about the folks in this world who are not saved. Look, just look briefly at verse, um, oh goodness, what verse is it? Verse 25. O righteous Father, the world has not known you. The world has not, the world has not known you. The world does not know God. And so when he talks about, I have sent them into the world, going into the world, the lost people, there's two kinds of people in the world. The ones that know God, and are saved, and are heading for heaven, and the ones that don't know God, and are headed for hell, unless they repent and turn to him. So that is who the world is. But he says, you have sent me into the world. Now, I, I looked and I went through and looked up verses that said Jesus' mission. Why did God send him? And there's about a dozen or so verses. Uh, but they're kind of summed up in these. Matthew 9:13, he said, Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. And that's actually in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's repeated three times. In Luke 19.10, it says that Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. And that is actually in another gospel as well. So that's there twice. Luke 4.43, he came to preach the kingdom of God. So Jesus came that we would be saved, to seek and save that which was lost, to preach the kingdom of God and to call sinners to repentance. And that is our mission as well. That's what God has called us to do. And, you know, I think sometimes in our 21st century Christianity, we can get confused when we think 
the Christian life is basically avoiding badness and providing for our family. You know, I mean, we, we don't commit adultery, we don't murder, we're not stealing. No, we, we work real hard to support our families. We have quality family time watching, you know, TV or PG-13 movies with our kids. And on the weekend, well, there's lots of sports. And, and, and it's kind of roughly, loosely based around church. Now, that's not the Christian life. Good atheists do that. Hindus do that. There's some. What God has called us to do is to be a light to the world, to go out and preach that gospel, to bring the lost to him. And we need, we need to keep that in mind. We're called to be soldiers and have a, war, a, like a wartime mentality. And we put it all aside and put him first to reach the lost. So we, now let's, let's head right here to verse 20. And I'm going to read this section 20 through 26 through once, and then we'll go back and look at the verses. I do not pray for these alone, meaning these, his disciples that were there with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as I have loved you. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Praise the Lord. Verse 20. And I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So these guys, some of them wrote it down. And we have a book right here, the Bible. Some people say basic instruction before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E. We have the Bible that they wrote down. And many people, me including, have believed on Jesus through this word. And even people believe on Jesus through our word as we, as we witness him to the world. So he's praying for all, he's praying for you and me and all the believers who will, in any time period, believe in him. And listen to what he asks that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So he's praying that we as Christians, as believers, would have unity. And he's not talking about organizational unity. We all don't have to, not everybody has to go to Calvary Chapel, and not everybody has to go to the Baptist church. You know, he's praying for a spiritual unity among believers. And even, you know, we're never agree on all the details. We don't probably agree on all the details right here. But we will, we will agree on the main things, that we will have a unity. And this unity, when people will see it, they will believe that God sent Jesus. Now, the lack of unity in the churches, you know, is really a, a bad witness. I remember when we first went to Japan back in the 70s and we were trying to preach the gospel to folks. And there was this horrible stuff between the Catholics and the Protestants in Northern Ireland. And, and the Japanese would ask us, well, you know, why are Christians fighting each other? 
You know, and of course, there's more to it. There's not just theology that we're fighting over, but the fact that 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 that, that the world saw Christians fighting Christians was a, was a bad example. Um, now I know when I first uh, was praying about or or seeking and and looking to the Lord, I was invited to visit this. Uh, it was a, a commune in, in the wilderness in Texas with about 200 young people lived there. These, a lot were ex-hippies. They had stopped their drugs and they stopped their hippieism and were following Jesus. Some of them had dropped out of school. Some had quit their jobs. They were all banded together to, to live their life to serve Jesus. And I visited there. And I was amazed at the unity I saw. I must have spoken to, I don't know, 10 or 12 people uh, individually through that day and they all were telling me how much Jesus had changed their lives. And there was this glow. There was this radiance. They were saying this. Every one of them said the same thing. There was a lady there that I had, I had known. It was a good friend of mine I had known for a number of years. And I knew she had joined these folks. And I hadn't seen her for like six months. And she was completely different. She was totally different. Um, and she said, Jesus, Jesus did it. So I heard the same thing over and over again. And even... Even uh, our, our witness here as a church, Vacation Bible School, you probably know for, for the third year in a row, we worked together with Bethel Baptist Church. And also there was another local church that sent a, a bus every day uh, with their daycare kids. Forty kids came. So there was a unity there. We get together uh, every, oh, every other week with a group of pastors, local pastors. And it's interesting because we don't, there's some things we don't agree on, but we agree on the main things, and we have this unity. Um, and, and among our elders, we, ha- we have a group of six elders that are making you know, most of the decisions for the church. And I was talking to somebody a while back, and they said, well, well, why do you have six? Don't you need like five or seven to break the tie? And I said, well, no, we don't do it that way. That every, every major move we make is six to zero. Huh? That if, if God is... If, if we're all endeavoring to serve the Lord, then he's going he's gonna to speak to us and we'll be in agreement. If it's something that we're not in agreement on and there are, these things come, we're not in agreement, sometimes we just, we just put it aside and it revisit it again. We pray more and revisit it again. So um, that, that to me is just an amazing testimony of, of the Lord's power. Um, we see when we witness... When you talk to somebody and share with them about the gospel and they say something like, you know, that's what my grandmother was telling me. Or my best friend, she goes to church. That's what she's been telling me. They hear the same thing. And there's this unity that they know that, uh, that God has sent Jesus. And you see, the importance of God sending Jesus, if, if people who are not saved realize that, that's a huge step in the right direction. First, to realize that you have to believe there's a God, Right? And then you have to believe that he sent Jesus. There's a lot of people that will believe in kind of a vague God, but when you nail it down to he sent Jesus, well, that's more specific. And then if you believe that there is a, a God who sent Jesus, then we should listen to what Jesus said. So this is a huge thing. And our unity as Christians will help people to see that God sent Jesus. Verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. Now, this term glory is kind of a mystifying term to me. You know, what is God's glory? 
know, in the, in the Old Testament, the glory of God filled the, filled the temple and the priest couldn't even go in there. You know, I, that's not generally the kind of, we, we don't have that here, right? I mean, but, but what is God's glory? Um, uh, John said that, or, or it said that, uh, and we beheld his glory in the first chapter of John, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. When Jesus turned the water into wine at Canaan, Galilee, it, they said that um, this beginning of miracles of Jesus in Canaan of Galilee and his disciples beheld his glory. So I, I'm going to toss out a, a description of God's glory. I believe it is the godness of God, the beauty of God, the magnificence of God, the love of God, all combined together, and that's just part of it. So how, and it says that God has given us that glory. And, you know, that, and, and there is just, there is a physical glory to the world. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. I sat out here in the rocking chair Thursday evening and watched the sunset over there. That was glorifying. That was glorious, you know. That's a part, just the beauty and the design and creation shows us God's glory. But where I really enjoy God's glory is in you folks. To see that you got out of bed this morning. You're not fishing, you're not playing golf, you're not sleeping. You came here because you love God. When we see all the people, the praise team, the, the child care workers, the people that work in the kitchen, the people that work in Columbia, they're not getting paid. They're volunteering. They do it for the glory of God. Um, well, the baptism last Sunday, that was amazing. Where 16 people uh, were baptized and they came up out of the water and they were rejoicing. And you could see God's glory because each one of them were testifying, who is Jesus? Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I had a chance to, to speak with a young lady, a part of our church who I've known for years, but I've never had you know, a long conversation with her. And, and I just saw God's glory in her as she was sharing about her family and the things God has done and the joy, just seeing the joy in her. This is God's glory. God gives us this glory. And I was really excited. Uh, Friday night, we took, uh, we took a van load of 10 people to Charlottesville Mall and to share the gospel with folks. And I remember walking behind uh, two teenagers, two, and two, of, two of our teens that went, and they were praying as they were walking. They were praying, God, show us where your sheep are. Show us who you want to talk to. I mean, that's glorifying, right, to do that. And then I saw, uh, who was it, Nick and Danny and Will, they had this group of, of teenage boys, kind of hoodlum-looking, you know, with multiple things and colored hair and all of this stuff. Uh, and they had a long conversation. They were talking at 30, 40 minutes, I guess. And I uh, found out later that, well, they were Satanists and atheists. And they were there, uh, you know, they were sharing, sharing the gospel with them and letting them know the gospel. I mean, that's glorious. Um, Nathaniel and Nathan, they were just, they were walking along and asking people if they could pray for them. Now, you may think that, you know, people would reject that, but many people said, yes, right, you must have prayed with a dozen people or so. Uh, that, and then, you know, they can share God's love with them. So uh, that's, that's God's glory, you know. And it comes from God, and it goes to Jesus, and it goes to us. Praise God. Um, verse 23. I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So once again, he's talking about the unity, right? I in them and you in me. I in them, Jesus in us. 
And this reminds us of John 15, where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. It talks about us abiding in Jesus, dwelling in Jesus, saturating ourselves in Jesus. And we abide in him, he abides in us. And this is where that unity comes from. Uh, I've always used, uh, in talking, you know, like marriage counseling and things like this, I've used a little uh, demonstration of a pyramid. Now, you probably have heard this. And the bottom two corners, that's the husband and the wife. And the top corner is God. And as we get closer to God, we get closer to each other. Right? So here in our church, we don't have programs to make unity. Right? Our program, I don't know if you can call it a program, our goal is that we may draw closer to God, and we automatically draw closer to each other, whether it's a marriage or not. I got to share this with some guys on the mall, too, this little thing. You know, we're always looking for ways to turn a conversation to God, and I can't remember how I got I was talking to three men. don't know how we got started. I think it had something to do with beards, you know? And, uh, oh, you got a nice beard. Oh, you got a nice beard, you know? So, uh, oh, yours is white. Yeah, mine's getting white, you know? So we got talking to beards, and it got around to kids, and I mentioned I had ten kids. You know, that usually staggers some people. Ten kids? And then the, the usual questions. Would you do it all with one woman? You know? <clears throat> when you have a big family, you guys that have big families, you know you get these, these questions, right? Um, so they said, well, how long have you been married? I said, well, almost 43 years. And they said, well, well, that's remarkable. How did you do that? Okay, we hadn't talked about God, right? It's like this. The closer you are to God. And, and I explained, you know, I said, well, you know, when, when my wife and I have troubles, and, and believe it or not, we've had a couple. Uh, we, sometimes we don't agree on things, and over the years, uh, you know, like everybody else, there's, there's been some rough times, and God has helped us to say, let's pray. Let's pray. And we pray together. And it's not like, oh, Lord, help my wife to not be so hard-headed and to know I'm right. <laughs> That may be how we want to pray, right? <clears throat> but that's not prayer. You know, that's just taking the argument and, you know, and calling it a prayer. But, Lord, we're having trouble. Help us. You know, like Peter's prayer, Jesus, save me. We're having trouble. Help us. And the same thing with us as, as unity as believers. We grow closer to God. We go closer to each other. And sometimes we have to do, we have to sit down with our brothers and sisters because things come up, right? There's a little friction here. There's... Uh, something happens, somebody says something, you know, and I've, I know I've said things that have offended people. If you don't tell me, I don't know. But if I have, I'm sorry, tell me. And, you know, we can work it out. We, you know, we're not perfect yet. But through God, we can move that way. Thank the Lord. Okay, verse um, 24. Oh, we'll just back to 23 for a minute. Once again, it says that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So Jesus is saying that God has loved us the same way he loves Jesus. Is that amazing or what? You know, the, the person, the, not the person, the being that breathed and spoke and a bazillion stars were created, who said, let there be light. And there was light when there had been nothing but darkness. says he can measure the heavens with the span of his hand. A span like from here to here. And this being loves us. He loves us as a church 
and he loves each one of us individually. Now, that just blows my mind. And when we come to that realization, you know, it changes everything. It changes everything. And now 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. I desire that they also whom you gave me, his disciples then, his disciples now, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. I think he's talking about going to heaven here. That's what it looks like to me. And is it um, uh, 1 Corinthians 13? Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then shall we know even as also we are known. In 1 John 3, 2, Let me read that to you. It's another verse about that. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There is coming a time when we will see Jesus. We have communion with him now through prayer, through his word, there is coming a time when we shall see Jesus. And that's what heaven's all about. We don't want to go to heaven because they have cooler golf courses and no sand traps, right? We're not going to sit on a harp on my heart, sit on the cloud and play a harp all day long. I think that would get boring after a few thousand years. But the magnificent, infinite God revealed through Christ Jesus, we'll see him face to face. Now, it says that even now we're supposed to increase in our knowledge of God. There is so much godness in God and so much awesomeness and magnificence. It's going to take us eternity and we'll never see it all. We'll never see it all. So this, he's, he's praying that, that we will behold his glory. For you love me, for God loved me before the foundation of the world. Verse 25. O righteous father. And this is the only place in the scriptures that this term is used. O righteous father. The world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. You see that repetition of that verse, that word, that you have sent me. 26. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it. So Jesus, to his disciples then, through talking, through the miracles, to us now, through the word, to our brothers and sisters, through, through the miracles and things that we see and changes in people's lives, he's declared God's name to us. Now, it's not like he's saying, hello, I'd like to introduce you to Mr. Jehovah here. That's not what he's talking about. The name of God is his godness, is his reputation, is his character. And, and that's what Jesus shows us. Jesus shows us what God is like. He says, that the love which, which you love me may be in them and I in them. The love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Now, that's an amazing love, that God would give us that love. I mean, how else can we, can we get along with each other, right, without the love of God? I mean, that lady I married is a saint, you know, been 43 years, she's been living with me. But it takes the love of God. <clears throat> to live with me for sure. And the same thing, you know, for all of us. 
to get along. It takes that love of God, but it's the love that God gave Jesus. Jesus gives us, and we have that love. And John uh, 13, 35, by this shall all people know that you are my disciples. If you have, what is it? Love one to another. When people see the love manifested from one to another, the love that, and, and the care that pours out when there's a tragedy or when something happens, or just, just being around us and seeing that there is a genuine love, not just for us, but for others. Well, they'll see that we're his disciples. Now, if they see us fussing and fighting and arguing and, and you know, splitting a church because we can't decide what color carpet we like, well, it's going to have the opposite effect. But as we work together and endeavor for this unity of the Spirit, then we'll see that love. And you see, it's that love that drives us. Paul said, the love of God constrains me. Right? We, don't, we don't go witnessing or we don't, we don't tell our neighbors or invite our neighbors to church because we feel like we have to. You know, because, well, it says, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So I guess I got to do it. Right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. It's an overflow of this love that he gives us that overflows to others. And that love and spirit that he gives us is just the natural effect is to spread it to others. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll have communion. Lord Jesus, in, in some ways this is a very uh, simple passage, Lord. Unity, love. But Lord, we can't do it ourselves and we so much need you to do it in us. And our desire is, Lord, that you would just pour out your spirit and your love in us. Lord, and help us, Lord, to grow in love towards one another. And Lord, to show that love. Lord, to show that love to a lost world. That men, to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works. Lord, and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We need you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.